0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. For those of you that have a phone, open your phone to Hebrews (laughs) 4.12. I used to say open your Bible. Look, I'm telling you, everybody on the front row got a phone right now, every last one of them. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Um, Most of my quoting of scripture is from the King James translation because... That's the translation I learned to quote. I find if I use another translation, I start kicking back into King James. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret about King James. Ready? There's about eight words that we spell different now in the English language than they spelled in 1611. Favor. How do you spell favor? Anybody tell me? Tell me. F-A-V what? That's not how he spells it. F-A-V-O-U-R is how it's spelled in the King James translation. I can show you eight words. This is the God's truth that I, in school, could not get my English grammar right and never could understand why because I kept misspelling the same eight to ten words. And I found out later, I got to laughing about this one day, that I had read the Bible so much from age 13 to 18 that I was spelling the words based on the King James translation of the English language. I'm telling the truth. I am telling. I laughed one day because I kept misspelling the same eight words over and over again. And it was in my brain. I had seen them that way for so long. All right. So anyway, uh, I told my English teacher, blame it on King James. (laughs) It's his fault. So in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is quick. That word quick means alive and powerful. That Greek word means energized. And sharper than any two-edged, and in Greek that word two-edged is a Greek word that means two-mouthed, two-mouths, than a two-edged or a two-mouthed sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joy and mara, it is the discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. The reason the Bible or the scripture is a two-mouthed sword is because in the Roman time there were five kinds of swords from a small dagger to a large sword. Several of those were one-bladed. But the most deadly one had a little bit of a curve on it and was two edged. It was very dangerous. And it cut going in and it cut going out. And the reason in Greek it reads, in the Greek translation, a two-mouthed sword is because Jesus, when he comes back, has a sword coming out of his mouth, which is a symbol of the word which he speaks. And when he speaks word, he defeats the Antichrist and all of his army just by the power of a spoken word. So how is it a two mouth sword ready picture a sword with two blades when God spoke it out of his mouth he put a blade on one end when you speak it out of your mouth the other blade comes in and it becomes two mouth. So when you start speaking what God speaks that's when the word becomes powerful and sharp. And I love this part where it says it can divide the joint and the mora and is a discerner of thoughts and intents. Intents are things that you plan to do. Thoughts are things that are coming into your mind. And so they're connected together. I wish I had time to develop that, but I'm going to go into a totally different direction. For the next few moments, I want to take this idea of the word of God being quick and being powerful. And I want to preach on the return of the quickening. The Return of the Quickening. Now, you may not have any idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a quickening. However, if you were raised, for example, in what we call the old school Pentecostal, classical Pentecostal, or maybe the earlier charismatics under Dad Hagen's day and those particular men, they talked a lot about something called being quickened by the Spirit. So what I want to talk about is what does it mean to be quickened by the Spirit? Now, let me take you back to the earlier days when I grew up because those earlier days, pardon me, were a real hoot. And uh, let me just talk to you a little bit how we were raised. Now, back in the South, preachers, when they preach, would preach real fast. And the faster you preach, the more anointed people thought you were. And then we kind of got to preaching so fast uh, sometimes uh, that we got to breathing uh, like this. uh, And start we start start doing the huh. And brother, we knew that brother Huckamosai was anointed by God when he preached like this. uh, Now the Bible says in John 3, 16, uh, that the Bible says uh, God so loved the world. Uh, Come on, you ain't with me. So growing up, the faster you could preach and the more huh you had, huh, meant God is really moving tonight in this church. And I'm really serious. So every pastor kind of grew up under other pastors that preached that style. And yet I want to say something about that style. Some of these men had very little education, but could preach the paint off of the wall. And you say, man, they're preaching like a man. This is the phrase, a man from another world. Now, our instruments that we had back then, Lord, how I would have loved growing up to have all these guitars up here and these keyboards. But we had an upright piano in our church that stayed out of tune. And everybody that tuned their guitar by the piano had a guitar out of tune before they got up to sing. And they'd be singing in the key of G and they'd be saying, honey, I don't know what's wrong with my guitar tonight, but it sounds out of tune. Well, the piano was out of tune and they tuned it by the piano. But that's all we had. And I remember that. We couldn't hardly afford when I was growing up to bring somebody that could tune the piano in to tune the piano, so we kept the piano out of tune, and it didn't matter anyway. You ready? Because everybody sang out of tune. <laughs> really. We didn't have the great praise and worship music here and the, the practices with the harmony. While we would just have people that would just get up and we'd say something like this. I'm going old school on you for a minute if you don't mind. Now, does anybody here have a song tonight? Brother Jones, would you like to sing? I saw this. Well, I'll tell you what. I've had a lot of mucus in my throat, brother, today. And I just don't think I can. My vocal cords are a little messed up. Okay. Sister Smith, do you have a song tonight? Well, brother, I'm telling you what, the devil's been on my back all day. Woo, bless his holy name. And I just don't think I can get up and sing tonight. But here's what's hilarious. Ready on a normal service when maybe 25, 50 people are there, they couldn't get inspired to sing. But when they had a revival and the crowd showed up, they'd all get their guitars out. (laughs) And I tell you what, brother, I believe I got a song tonight. You got room for me to sing a song tonight? And so I grew up, you know, in some wonderful people who really love God. I grew up when people would pray all together. You never had anything called let's pray a silent prayer because there's no such thing as a silent prayer. If you'll check out your Bible, all prayer has to be said for it to be a prayer. So in other words, if you're praying, yes, you can meditate on God and never say anything. You can have your mind on God and never say anything. But when it comes to praying, if you'll check out your Bible, words have to be said out of your mouth in order for it to be an actual prayer. So we were used to people praying out loud. We were used, of course, in that day to having what they called altar benches and people, when they would come down to repent or to pray or receive from the Lord, they would always come down to the altar <laughs> God tell you a funny story here. One of my pastor friends was a teenage preacher years ago. Him and his brother were preaching. By the way, it wasn't Rich and Jensen; it was uh, Ronnie and Steve Brock. And so the Brock brothers were preaching, and they were well known. And this pastor said, "I had these altars in my church, and they were very heavy." And said Ronnie got to preaching one night under the anointing, and the power of God hit him. And he said, "I feel so much of God in this place. I believe I could pick up this altar and run with it." So he laid the microphone down, and he ran down to the altar, and he grabbed to pick it up and it was so heavy, he stripped his back out and he come back like this. I praise God, Steve, you better come and take the service right here because I just, and and he had to kind of crawl off. That's the kind of things we grew up in. Speaking in tongues, however, we'll talk about this in a minute, was a part of the culture of that day. And it was not an odd thing for people to start praying in what we call praying in tongues or praying in the spirit. Neither was it an odd thing when people would be prayed for and they would kind of fall prostrate under the anointing. Now, people that weren't, familiar with it, thought that they had passed out. I remember we'd have some Catholic folks that would come for the very first time to our services and they'd see people getting prayed for and they'd run up with fans and start fanning them and say, somebody call 911 right here. Because I said, no, no, they're going to be okay. Well, what's happened to them? Well, the spirit of God has overwhelmed them and just let them lay there because God's operating on them. I've always said when people fall out under the power and they really fall out under the spirit of God, that what's happening is God has got them quiet and God has them still to operate on him and work on him because a surgeon can't do surgery when you're hopping around on the operating table. A surgeon can only do surgery when you're laying there still. So sometimes God overwhelms people and they fall out in the spirit or under the power. So God, it gives them God an opportunity to work on them. Now, let me go back. So when we'd speak in tongues and people were falling under the power and the power of God would move in the preaching and people would stand up and shout, there were people that became very, very critical and they started leveling four accusations against anybody who believed in preaching and preaching with the fire and the music was going and the people were shouting and rejoicing and falling under the power of God and the manifestations of the spirit were taking place. All this would begin to happen. So here was the four things they said about us. I can remember this as a kid hearing this leveled against my dad, against the churches where he pastored and against Pentecostals in general. First of all, they accused us of just being all uneducated. The second thing, they accused us of was having a wrong spirit. They even said we had devils on us or something. Number three, they said well it's nothing but a bunch of emotionalism and number four, when we speak in tongues some people said well it's nothing but gibberish. Now I remember growing up and those are the four things they said against us on a consistent basis. So now let us as examine or evaluate those four statements leveled against people who put emotion and who put excitement and who put zeal behind their walk with God. First of all, let's talk about the uneducated. Oh, yes, it's true. In the earlier days, they were farmers. In the earlier days, they were factory workers. But now what are you going to do when doctors and lawyers, professional NBA athletes, professional NFL athletes, some of whom I know, professors of colleges and universities, all of them who have PhDs, all sorts of doctorate degrees, BA degrees, etc., that are very, very educated now believe that not only speaking in tongues is a true gift, Not only is it Bible, but it happens today, but they've actually done research in Philadelphia and research at universities with people who speak with tongues. You ready for this? And found out they are not unstable people emotionally, but they happen to be people that some of them have great intellects that a lot of them are people that are able to be more, watch watch this, mentally stable than people who don't speak in tongues. Now that is, that's a study. Now, the second, the second thing that was leveled at us was this. Those people have a wrong spirit. They have a demon. Now, let's reason together, okay? Let's just say that all of us who are speaking in tongues, that we're doing it by a devil. If that were true, the devil is the biggest idiot that's ever been in the universe. And here's the reason why. I have never seen anybody receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and do this. Well, glory to Satan! Now, wait a minute. Let's look at this. If what we're doing is of Satan and if what we're doing is of God, how come the devil's not getting any glory for it? Last time I checked... Satan worshipers are Satan worshipers because they want Satan to get glory and Satan wants to have glory. So he starts a religion of his own called Satanism where everything is based on Satan. Now, if what we're doing is of the devil, the devil's an idiot. And here's why. Because when you get this gift, you want to read your Bible more than you ever have. You want to pray more than you've ever prayed. You want to go to church more than you've ever gone to church and you want to worship God more than you've ever want to worship god and everybody out of a hundred thousand and some people that i have seen receive the holy spirit the devil never got credit one time from anybody's mouth the first thing that was hallelujah glory to god and thank you jesus which shows me it's not a bad spirit it must be coming from god because god gets the glory for everything and when you receive you want more of him If it was of the enemy, he would pull you away from God. Why is it that seekers of the Holy Spirit want more of God? Here's number three, emotionalism. Now, there is emotion involved in worship, but there has to be. Now, look, can I tell you this? Did you know you are two-thirds emotion and one-third everything else? That's according to Dr. Walker, Paul Walker, who's a psychiatrist. You are two-thirds emotion. Now, I want you to think about emotion for a minute. Your team has gone to the national championship. Yeah, my team has won three out of five lately, praise the Lord. But anyway, your team goes to the national championship. You're in the stadium. The score is tied fourth quarter. It's 30 seconds left in the game. And your guy kicks the winning field goal for your team. And you go. Everybody's screaming, but you. Why aren't you excited? I just don't want to get too emotional. You've been married. It's your anniversary. You've been married five years. You both are in love. And your husband comes in and lays these dead-looking roses in front of you and says, I just want to tell you something. I just really love you very much. You are the desire of my heart. You are the butterflies in my belly. You are the twinkle in my eye. I just want you to know something, how much I really love and appreciate you. So hope we have a good anniversary. Maybe we can go out and eat later if everything's okay. You will say, excuse me. Can we put a little feeling behind this? Can you say me? Can you do it like this? Baby. Baby. I am talking to you, hot lips. That's the way I talk to my wife. You think I'm joking. Ask some of my friends. I embarrass my wife in front of people. I ain't going to tell you some of the stuff I said. (laughs) I was texting Rod Parsley one time. We're just talking back and forth. Now you've done this and my wife interrupts the text. And uh, I want to tell her something sexy. (laughs) Hello, darling. I miss your hot lips and your hug. And somehow it went to Rod Parsley. (laughs) And I kept kept waiting for her response for 20 minutes and it never came. (laughs) And I picked up my phone. And I said, wait a minute, that's the last thing she said. That is not what I said. And I hit Rod and it says, oh, hot lips, how I miss your hugs and kisses. I wish you were near. I said, oh, God, Rod, I promised that was for my wife. And he said, oh, I totally understand. Emotions are normal. You go to a funeral. Let's say you go to somebody's funeral who's just died. Watch the wife. This is her husband. Now, she, she goes in there and she's crying. God love her. Bless her. Ah, bless her heart. Oh, she just loved him. You can just tell she just loved him. She's over there crying and she's petting that corpse and she's rubbing his hair a little bit. And she, they can't hardly get her to sit down. Emotionally, she's reacting according to the proper way a woman who loves her husband should act at a funeral. But what if the wife... After 30 years of marriage comes in like this, got rid of that sucker. And baby, you ain't going to believe the insurance money I'm about to get in 30 days. We're going to go on a cruise, girls, and we're going to go shopping at the best mall there is. Somebody get rid of him because I got one eye closed crying and another eye open scoping out who the next one's going to be. What would you do if you went to the funeral and the wife acted that way? You'd say, dude, this woman got a problem here somewhere. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Why is it normal to cry at a funeral and it's proper? Scream at a ball game with your favorite team and it's proper. Go to a wedding and just throw down because you're so happy for the couple and it's proper. Have an anniversary man and grab your wife and pick her up if you can. <laughs> that wasn't mean, I'm just being honest. Swing her around three times and then call the chiropractor. <laughs> I don't know what's happening to me. Y'all pray for me saints. <laughs> and that's normal. But here's the deal. Then we have to come in church and act like we're in a funeral. Here we are supposed to serve a God who's real. A Jesus to kick the bottom out of the grave and raise from the dead a Bible that's full of life and energy and power and we're supposed to fold our arms for one hour while a dead preacher gets up and preaches a dead sermon to a dead congregation and act like we're in a funeral. I didn't come to Orange County for four services to attend the funeral of Jesus. I came because there's a resurrection going on and there's resurrecting power in the name and the authority of Jesus and in the power of God's word. So yes, I will get a little emotional. Thank you. So the fourth thing, some of you, some of you young people, if you, if you tell them you believe in the Holy Spirit and you tell your friends that, they're going to throw some of this stuff at you, so just get ready for it. But the fourth thing they begin to say to us, and I can remember this one. Now, all of that speaking in tongues that those full gospel people do, that's what they call us, is gibberish. La, 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 ba, 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 gibberish. That's what they would do. They'd say it from their pulpit. And here's here's what you got to understand. If it were gibberish, it means it's not a language. That's just logical. So how do you explain, how do you explain an uneducated man or woman standing up in a church, praying in tongues, and a professor understands what she's saying? If it's gibberish, that can't happen. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I asked Ken Hall, Ken, is this story true? He said, It is true. It's my wife's home church. She got saved under Ken Hall's daddy, Earl Hall, when she was a young girl. My wife did. Northport, Alabama. A man from Japan had come to the United States and they had come over, and when they got here, somehow his wife had gotten totally separated from him. This is, this is a long time back. This isn't recent. It wouldn't happen today. We're talking long, long time ago in the 60s and 70s, somewhere in that time frame. And he kept talking, this Christian man in Tuscaloosa near the University of Alabama kept talking to this man about the Lord. And the man, of course, was a different religion. So the man said to the Christian, the Japanese man said to the Christian, can your God help find my wife? He said, well... I believe he can. But why don't you come to a service where we're at and just see what happens? He came to a service. In Tuscaloosa, the man this happened to tells me this personally. They're on the back row. At the Northport Church of God in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Actually, it's in Northport, Alabama. I say Tuscaloosa, so you'll know where that is. All of a sudden, An old woman stands up and gives what's called a message in tongues. Now, what that simply means is she's standing up and she's speaking in tongues and everybody's listening. Now, normally, according to the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, if a person stands up and gives what's called a message in tongues where everybody's hearing it, it has to be interpreted. The only option of it not being interpreted is if the person there understands the language and it's a message directly to them called a sign to the unbeliever. That's the only way it doesn't have to be interpreted. The man in the back gripped the back of the pew and started listening to every word and got a pen and a piece of paper and started writing it down. He, when the woman sits down, there's no interpretation. So they move on with the service and the man turns to his friend and says, I have to leave. He said, no, there's a man going to speak. I think." You know, he says, you don't understand. I have to leave right now. Please come with me. So they gently got up and left. And he said, what's wrong? Did, did something bother you? He said, oh, no. The woman who stood up was speaking Japanese. This is an uneducated woman from the, hill, from, from the flatlands of Alabama. I started to say the hills of Alabama ain't much down there. <laughs> it's flatland in Tuscaloosa. And, and, and he goes to a payphone and puts money in. Now, this guy watches this. And he asked, a woman answers, who is from Japan? See, the Holy Ghost told this man, you're looking for your, through this woman, you're looking for your wife. Her name is such and such. And here's the phone number where you can contact her. Now, when you get her, you serve me because I've proved to you I'm real. That's what was said. Now, here's what's weird. He he asked the woman for a certain woman's name. And there was no one here by that name. And then, here's what's wild. I don't know how this works among the Asian countries. But she had a pet name. He called it a pet name. Which was not her actual name. But it's like a nickname. He then calls her by the nickname. Oh, yes. Yes, she's here. It was his wife. The Holy Spirit gave the man... His wife's pet name gave the man the number to call and the man needless to say, guess what happened when it came to believing in God? You didn't have to convince that man afterwards that God was real. Now, if if this thing that we have called the Holy Spirit and when you see people speaking in tongues, if this was not real, it would be impossible for someone to communicate in a tongue or a language language that is known on earth if it was simply gibberish. And I could stand here tonight, won't do it, but I could stand here tonight and thrill your soul with stories that would blow your mind of the power of God and the anointing of God operating in people's lives through the manifestation of speaking with other tongues. Now, the reason I've brought you through all of this is those early manifestations of the Spirit were called by the name of, here we go, the quickening of the Holy Spirit. Now, the quickening of the Holy Spirit, let me give you a little bit of word studies here. In the Bible, in the King James translation, for example, it says the word of God is quick. Then in the book of Psalms, David said, thy word hath quickened me. The Greek word is zoe, spelled Z-O-E, and it means life. But they've added to quicken a second Greek word. And here's the meaning. Let me just give you the meaning. Quicken means to make alive. It means to endue with life. And it it means to make alive together. So it's God's presence coming on you, working together to make you feel alive. Now, it also means, and this is a definition from, uh, I believe it's the Vines Greek Dictionary, quicken means to rejuvenate, quicken means to refresh, quicken means to revive a person. And I would add this from my opinion, it's better understood as a surge of God's power that can suddenly be felt in a specific moment in your body, Whew. In your mind or in your spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, going to give you some Bible. I want to go through this quickly because I want to hit. I want to hit a couple highlights. Number one, there is the quickening of your physical body. Now, when you get in a service where the Lord's power has come down, you will discover that people react to the presence of God. Now, if you don't think it's normal to react to the presence of God, Mount Sinai was a solid mountain. But it said, when God came down, the mountain shook. And I've always said, if God knows how to shake a mountain, God can move a man. And so the quickening of your body, here we go. But the spirit, this is Romans 8, 11, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal body by the spirit that dwelleth in you. So here's the thing. I love this, Jesus, help me. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, now let's go over this. Jesus has been dead three days. He has no blood in his body. It's all been poured out. He's wrapped up in a 100 pounds of linens and spices, laying on a slab in a cave with a two-ton stone rolled over top of him. And the spirit of God comes into that graveyard, walks through that rock, lays himself on the body of Jesus and breathes one time. And all of a sudden, the soul and spirit of Jesus go back into that body from the heart of the earth. Jesus sits up and his body, his body comes through the grave clothes. They didn't have to unwrap him because when you get a resurrected body, you can walk through a door with a door closed. You can go through a window with a window lock. Read your Bible. So he came through the grave clothes and the grave clothes remained there. Now, the Bible tells us, I love this. Jesus, let us hear this today. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Look, a dead corpse don't smile, laugh, cry, shake, rattle, or roll. A dead corpse lays there. But when the spirit came on the dead corpse... The fingers begin to move. The wrist begins to turn. The elbows begin to move. The shoulders begin to flow. The hips begin to shake. And the legs begin to move. And suddenly Jesus can walk and talk and breathe and move and live and touch people simply because he has been quickened in his body by the spirit of God. Now, folks, I just want to be as honest with you as I can. So now you think that this spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to come on you and suddenly suddenly hits you and you're going to do this. Praise the Lord. There it is. I feel it in my feet. It's in this one now. This is the spirit who took a dead man and made him set up So may I suggest to you, if at some point in the service tonight, that the quickening comes on you. And you start feeling goosebumps as some people call it come on your back and you start feeling the hair of your flesh stand up and you begin to feel something twitching in this shoulder and moving over to the next one and you get to the point where you can't stand still and you got to gut up and yell just simply yell I feel the quickening I'm feeling the quickening I'm feeling the resurrected life of God because there's something about the Holy Spirit that when he comes on you you can feel the Holy Spirit and you will not sit there with your arms folded and your eyes closed something will make you get up and shout He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. I know he's alive because I feel the same power in me that I hmm. Now, Hebrews chapter four and twelve. The word of God divides soul from spirit. So there is a quickening of the soul. What is the quickening of the soul? The quickening of the soul is the mind. And so what God does is the Holy Spirit quickens or rejuvenates or makes alive your mind. Now, here's Amplified of Romans 12 and 2. I like to amplify. This is Joyce Meyer's favorite version, by the way. Here we go. Do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adopted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewing of your mind, by its ideas and new attitudes, so that you can prove for yourself what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect, and right in his sight for you. There is a renewing of the mind. Why does there have to be a renewing of the mind because the battles in the mind now let me read to you another verse now if you've never heard this this is extremely fascinating and one time here we had an altar call I remember this and I quoted this verse and shared this with the people in the altar but this is a whole different group how many like to hear something new you're maybe you're gonna hear something new Isaiah 26 and 3. Now, we're talking about the mind. We're talking about the importance of the quickening power of God really coming on your mind. And here's what it says. This is a great verse of Scripture, and you're going to really get some here in a minute. You will keep him in perfect peace. I want everybody to say perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Now, I want to take the word stayed first. Stayed is an old English King James word. I looked it up in the Hebrew. And the word stayed, now this is going to sound strange, is a a tent pole that a tent rests on. It's called the stay in the early days. So, God will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on Him. Meaning, He's the pole, I'm the tent, I'm putting all my weight on Him. And He's not going to collapse. So, the stay is to put my weight On him. And as I put my weight on him. He can preserve me. Now perfect peace. This is good stuff right here. Perfect peace is a translation. From the Hebrew into English. Because this is one of the rare places in the Bible. Where in the Hebrew scriptures. It's the same word doubled in the same verse. Which cannot grammatically be translated to English. So let me read to you how it reads in Hebrew. I will keep you in peace. Peace peace if your mind is stayed on me peace peace shalom shalom this is really weird because it should read i will just simply keep you in peace if your mind is stayed on me it doesn't say perfect in hebrew it's shalom two times all right now some people would say that has to be a grammatical error by the scribes to put that in twice i'm gonna tell you there ain't grammatical errors by jewish scribes they had laws they went by to make sure they copied the word and a copied it and copied it correctly. So the translators got to this in the, in the days of King James and said, good gracious, what is shalom, shalom? They said, well, shalom is peace, but you can't put in the Bible, I'll keep you in peace, peace. Because it's grammatically not correct in the English language. Well, what would peace, peace be? It's double peace. Well, what's double peace? Well, it's perfect peace. That's, that's what it is. It's peace that's perfected. So that's why in your Bible, God says, I'll keep you, or your Bible reads it, perfect peace. Now, let us go back to the intent mm-hmm, of what the prophet meant when he said, peace, peace. Only God knew this. The prophet did not know this. Every human being has a brain. Your soul is... Con- well, I think some people may not have one. I mean, you know, you're like me. I've met a few that wonder if they had half a, half a brick up there or something. You know, okay, I understand, I understand. Everybody's got a brain. Now, here's the thing about your brain, and most most of you have known this if you studied this. It has a left and right hemisphere. Your brain has two hemispheres. And every human being operates like left-handed people use one side of the brain. Y'all know this. Right-handed people use the other side of the brain. (laughs) I don't know how much I should get into here. Men think with one side of the brain. And they tell me men tend to think on with the left side. And women seem to tend to think on the right side. And there are some people And I promise you, I must be one of those people, according to doctors, because I have a little bit of autism, that uses both sides and shifts from one side to the next. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, you too, okay? Now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Slap me five, man. You're with me on this thing tonight. All right. Here's the, here's the thing, and I, I, I want to explain to you why I work both sides. Now, Rob and Tammy, I'm going to make a statement. You work with me for 30, you know me for 30 some years. You work with me every day. Is this not true? I can have in my office a CD sermon going. I can have in my office at the same time a DVD going. I have the internet up doing research. I have a laptop in front of me. That I'm writing a sermon on. And I have been able to write two books at one time with two laptops. I did it in a board meeting one time. Then I have the news on. Now, when my staff, whether it's Tammy, Jessica, Robbie, or Chloe, or, or Rakim. When they come in, especially the girls, and they're trying to talk to me. They will say, would you, could you for a moment, Perry, please sir. Would you cut that off and just focus on me. And what they don't realize is I can focus on them and shut off everything around me. Am I telling the truth, guys? Raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. Hold it up real high. All right. It drives Tammy crazy. And then Tammy will give me a list of things, of phone calls that she's just got. She'll say, look at me. Look, you're not paying attention. I said, I'm paying attention. You said, call Rod. You said, call this. You said, Esther just called and going to do that. So there you go. Okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. Is that True. Now, so some people can operate and shift from left to right. And God gave me the ability for some reason to be able to do that. Here's the point that I want to make. The point I want to make is this. There's a one hemisphere that is geared very rational, very rational, very logical. And some people operate on that and they're not emotional people. There are other people that operate on the other side, which tends to be more feeling-oriented, more affection-oriented, and more emotional. Am I right for you guys that have taken these classes before? Now, here's the situation we deal with. There are times, preach, Perry. I can hear Brother Lowry calling from heaven. Preach, Perry, right now. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. There are times, if you've watched it, that your your rational side kicks in. And it starts having problem having peace. And the reason is because your rational mind says your bills are coming due. How can you tithe? Your bills are coming due. You shouldn't give in the offering. Your bills are coming due. You might and all of a sudden, everything rational kicks in and you lose your peace from the rational side. And then there's time people hurt you and offend you, and something bad happens, and your emotions get all stirred. Now, your rational side is okay, but your emotional side is going crazy. So, everything rationally is fine. You got evidence. I'm cool. But man, I don't like this. I don't feel good about this. My emotions are messed up. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm upset. Now, the problem is this. If you only have one level of peace, you can only have one level of peace on one side of your brain. Oh, somebody's going to get this in a minute. But the Lord said, I'm going to keep you in peace, peace. And what that means is, the rational side of your brain, I'm going to let you have peace when hell's breaking out. The emotional side of your brain, I'm going to still let you have peace when hell's breaking out. So in other words, God says just rest on me and I'll quicken your mind and your brain and I'm going to give you peace (laughs) no matter what you're going through. That's the place you praise God right there. That's where the amen, hallelujah, and glory to God go. You want to be in an illustrated message? Come up here. You look like Jesus, too. You got so many boys in this church looking like Jesus. Lord, help me. Now, can I, can I take your hat off? Are you okay with that? Oh, man, you're looking good. No, man, you're looking good. Because I got I to, I, excuse me, I'm not playing with your hair. I just wanted to make sure. Right, look this way. I'm going to show you something. Now, watch. I have a book that's rather old that takes the human brain, and it shows you all parts. Sense of touch, sense of where affection comes from, I mean, everything about your brain, where the senses of your brain affect your emotions, your rational, or your body, it tells you the part. Y'all going to love this. I looked at that book one day, and the frontal lobe of the brain right here, it had big words. This is not a Christian book. Hope. H-O-P-E. Now, you're about, we're talking about now the Spirit of God quickening your mind. When you're under pressure to bring you relief, right? That's what we're on right now. The quickening of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. Ready? (laughs) Hope deferred, Proverbs says, makes your soul sick. What's that mean? That means like the doctor would come to you and say, "Uh, Bill, guess what? You have cancer and you've only got a month to live. Now, if he can hope, you know what? Wait a minute. God's able to heal me. If I get enough people praying, hope can make him live longer. I know a guy that had cancer, lived seven years with it. Seven years with it because he kept hoping he wouldn't die. The doctors couldn't understand it. You should have been dead, dude, six years ago. He said, no, I'm going to keep living. I got a couple grandbabies I want to play with. But he had hope, all right? Now, he passed away, but he had hope. Seven years he lived. Now, I I think this is totally off the chain cool. Uh, hmm. Authority and power in the New Testament are two different words. One is dunamis and one is exousia in Greek. Dunamis, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you, is dunamis. And that word is like a dynamo or miraculous energy. Now now track with me. Then there is the verse that Jesus said, I give you power over all the powers of the enemy is exousia, better translated authority. So power and authority are released two different ways. You heard me talk about this the other night. Authority is released by what you say. For with authority, the man said, Jesus commands these spirits. Never a man spake like this man. For with authority, he commands spirits with his mouth and they come out. See, Jesus could say, be healed. And they'd get healed. Stretch forth your hand. They'd get healed. Demons come out. They'd get delivered. Because authority is released through your words. Now watch. Authority is never released through your hands. Power is. Dunamis. I'm going to prove it. Woman with the issue of blood. is behind Jesus. Touches the hem of his garment with her faith. And pulls virtue out of Jesus' body in Mark 5. And Jesus said, who touched me? They said, Lord, everybody's touched. He said, no, you don't understand. Somebody just pulled virtue out of me. You're ready for this? And the word virtue there is dunamis. She pulled power out of me. So the t- power... This is really good teaching whether you're understanding this or not. Power is released by the hands. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And Jesus touched her and she was healed. You got me? So we got two things going on here in the spirit with the quickening. One is the authority to speak when God's quickening power hits you. And you could say, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And that authority sends spirits running by your words. But then what about the brother here who's just been diagnosed? Now, faith is now. But when your faith is weak, hope is what you hold on to. You with me? Because I'm going to be honest with you. There's been times... I knew my faith wasn't at the level it should be. I hadn't been praying like I should be. Crisis has come. Somebody got a bad word. Something bad has just happened. And I just didn't look. It was one of those. You ever had a day like that? Thank you all 10 of you that have had a day like that. Let me preach to the 10 that's had a day like that. But yet, I kicked into hope knowing that that book tells me that if I can hope, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he would be the father of many nations, and counted his body not dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. When a ninety-nine-year-old man's told he's going to have a son, and his wife is ninety years of age, and she's barren already gone through menopause, it takes more than faith. Because by the time you hit ninety, and she's gone through menopause, and you're ninety-nine, you're saying to yourself, "He's going to take more than faith to get this thing done." So, uh, watch this. Against hope. Meaning, there's no hope, dude. He still did what? Believed in hope. And counted God able. Let's go back to this. The brain. Perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Peace, peace. Left hemisphere. Right hemisphere. Rational side. Emotional. And I'm simplifying it. Rational side. Emotional side. But hope is here. How interesting Jesus taught, when receiving the baptism, you can do this. When, when praying for the sick, you can do this. Watch. You shall lay, remember the power? Hands on the sick. Every preacher I know that prays does it just like I'm doing it right here. Without ever knowing, and I didn't know it for 30 years, that I just touched the hope part of the brain. Where hope originates, where hope emerges. God, brother, I feel something right now. Glory to God, praying for you. Ha, where hope can be found. I'm about to fall out in the Holy Ghost with him. Praise God. And God put it. I mean, you get drunk in the spirit together tonight, brother. And so when we pray for people, God has made the body in such a way, without it, we look. It, took, it took our time to understand this, but God already understood it. Put your hands on their head because I'm going to let you touch a spot where hope gets triggered in a human soul. And when that quickening hits that hope, you've been there. You come up and you don't feel nothing and you feel dead and you feel like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Well, let's pray. And somebody starts putting their hands on you under an anointing and pray. And you walk away and say, man, I needed that. Wow. And I believe God can do anything now. I believe I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. This is the part right here where you give the Lord a shout and you give the Lord a praise and you shout hallelujah. Here's the third one. This is the last one. Here's the third one. Ready? There's the quickening of the body. There's the quickening of the mind. Hebrews, remember Hebrews 4 and 12 separates soul from spirit. Soul is mind. Now let's talk about spirit, soul and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 23, if you've never read this, says that you are a body, you are a soul, and you are a spirit. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and poke him in the arm real gently and say, That's your body. That's your body. That's your flesh. Now, look, y'all, you don't have to go fond on each other in church. Come on. Some of you went crazy grabbing your wife, you know, and trying to. I'm cutting up with you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't even have said that. <laughs> you know, one guy was over there like, "Ooh, ooh it's my chance. <laughs> Just poke him. <laughs> Shoulder. All right. I'm going I'm to make it. I promise. So that's your body. Soul is connected to five senses. Hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touches, and intellect. And it's connected to the brain and the mind. There's actually a difference between brain and mind, biblically. But I don't have time to get into that. But it's a great study if you get into it. Now, let's talk about the spirit. What's the spirit? My spirit, if it jumped out of my body, would look just like me. I think it's probably better looking than I am, to be honest with you. But that's beside the point. To be absent from the... Body is to what? Be present with the Lord. So you die, your spirit and soul come out of your body. Moses was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter said, it's Moses and Elijah. How did he know? He never saw a picture of either one of them. There was not a picture of Moses, but they knew it was Moses. Moses had been dead 1,500 years, and the Lord brought Moses out of paradise to stand there and confirm that Jesus was the Messiah in front of those guys. Isn't that cool? That's crazy right there, man. Okay, so... But it wasn't Moses' body because there hadn't been a resurrection yet. It was Moses' spirit, but it still had a body to it. Your spirit has a form. You're not just a blob, you know, like Ghostbusters floating around. You're, you're a form, and your form is, is... Okay, can I say it this way? Picture of me as being a bloom. I know some of you are having a hard time with this, okay? But bear with me for a minute. I'm a bloom. I got air all here. So the air has come in here. You ever notice whatever the shape of the balloon is, that's the form it takes. If you got a long balloon, it looks like a hot dog. You get a round balloon, it looks like a basketball. You blow the air in it, it takes on the form. My spirit has taken on my form. My wife's asked me before, baby, when I get to heaven, how heavy is my spirit going to be? I said, I don't know, but I want to see your glorified body when we get there. Because if you look anything like you did when I married you, we're going to be in trouble in heaven. We're going to forget that verse, neither married nor given in marriage. We're going to figure something out. Come on, help me, somebody. Y'all hope and pray one day you get a wife like I'm crazy about my wife. I got a great wife and I tease her a lot. All right, here we go. Quickening of the what? Spirit. All right. What's it mean to be for your spirit man to be quickened? you will, let's say it this way. Proverbs says this, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. John 7, Jesus said, out of your belly will do what? Flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to do a test and I'm going to show you how this works with God moving in your spirit. Ready? When God gave the revelation of worship in the Bible, he gave it at a well. He goes to Jacob's well where there's water flowing and they have to take the cap off of these wells. We went there, didn't we? We sure did. We went to Jacob's well. And they have big stones, do they not, that they put over that well so birds won't land in it. Birds won't do their business in it. Insects won't fall in it. And so when they're not using it, they take a stone and they put it over top of that well completely. All right. So meaning if you're going to draw water out of that well, you have to remove the stone. You tracking with me? Okay. So Jesus tells me, my spirit man, that the heart of my body is my, the center of my body is my heart, but the center of my spirit is my belly. You got it? I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. Now, this is the reason why negative or positive emotions are always felt in your belly. Let somebody almost hit you in a car, and what will you do? You'll, you'll feel it right here, right? Let somebody tell you your loved one just died, and where do you feel it? In your belly. Great joy is in your belly. Sorrow, pain. And I'm not talking physically pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. Why is it there? Why do you think it's there? It's there, and I don't want to talk about the gut nerve and all that. That's a whole different study. It's there because it's the center of your spirit. And your spirit, like the Holy Spirit, can be grieved. Your spirit, like the Holy Spirit, can be vexed. Your spirit, like the Holy Spirit, can feel oppression, and it can feel depression. And why do you feel it not up here? You might get a migraine over something, but you don't feel it here. You feel it. What do people do? Oh, God, no. They grab their belly. Why? That's the center of their spirit where the life of God is flowing out of you. Y'all got to look, I, this is my last night. Y'all got time to, to hang with me for just a little bit while I preach this. <laughs> Raise your hand. I want I want to get I want to get. up. OK, all right. I know you got to get up. I got to get up. I got to fly home. Let's not worry about it. It's only 730 right now. Back home. I, I just got starting preaching back home. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I'm almost done. All right. Does anybody in the building have a shofar? On you. Run it up here. As fat brother, you raise your hand. You got a shofar on you. Run it to me like now. Somebody get me a shofar as fast as you can. I'm not going to blow it. I just want a shofar. Who's got a shofar? Do you have one on you? Uh, Too late. Too late. It'll be too late for that. Everybody knows what a shofar is, right? We're in deep trouble. Why did I bring this up? No, I'm going to show you this. A shofar... Let's take an antelope horn. It's the horn of an animal. And okay, here's the mouth of it, right? It narrows down. You've seen these. And then at the bottom, it doesn't have a normal hole. But they have to drill a hole in the bottom. And that's what you blow through. So when you see the Jewish guys at the Western Mall, that's called a shofar. And they hold that thing up. It's just an animal horn. And they blow it, right? Now watch this. Ha ha. Oh, Lord, I'm getting on another message, and you better help me now, Jesus. If you look at all the instruments Satan had in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah, he had vials, he had pipes, he had, he, okay, let me say it this way. Satan had every instrument. How many of you know there's brass, there's percussion, you've been to music school, there's several different, they they categorize instruments into different categories. Satan had every category built in him except one, ready? God never gave Satan the trumpet. It says pipes were in him, vials were in him, that he created sounds, timbrels, that's the tambourine, that's percussion, but there's no trumpet in him. God never wanted the voice of Satan to be confused with his voice. Being God speaks, the Bible says he speaks like a trumpet. Never gave Satan the trumpet. All right. But let me tell you who he gave the trumpet to. Ready? You are a built-in shofar. Because if I took a shofar and could insert it in your body, here's the mouth. Your windpipe becomes the stem of the shofar. Ready? And your belly button right there is the hole of the shofar where the wind comes into the belly button and comes all the way up the mouth. So when you worship God and out of your belly shall flow, God built you with a shofar that the devil doesn't even have. He can't worship like you can. He can't. Pr- now somebody ought to get real quickened right there. I'm about to shimmy for Jesus right there. I'm about to get quickened. Whoa. All right. I'm almost done. Of course, I said that three times already. But here we go. We're going to prove it to you how this works. Worship is like a well. Jesus is sitting at a well revealing they that worship God worship him in spirit and truth. John chapter four. It's like a well. But to get a well opened, you got to uncap it. It's not automatically there. So to get your river flowing, to get the quickening of your spirit, you got to do something. Now, I'm going to show you the difference between saying your praise and singing your praise. Because when you get into the melody of singing to the Lord, you bump into a different level of worship than just saying. And here's why. Because you can say something with your lips and your heart be far from it. But it is almost impossible for you to sing unless you feel it and mean it. Try it sometimes. You either get up with a song or you don't. Some of y'all know you were the next American idol. <laughs> By the way you sang in the shower. If they'd have just had a shower out there while you were trying out, you'd have won the whole thing, you know. Because <laughs> you can get it on in a shower. <laughs> but I'm gonna show you this. This is my well. Out of my belly, that's my well. Now, I have a hard time doing this standing up, but sitting down, it'll work. You have a diaphragm. And I, didn't, I never took preaching class, but I've, take, I've studied people to do vocal stuff. And the reason my voice for years, I could preach 16 weeks every night and never lose my voice is I start preaching from my diaphragm. Now, it happens automatically, and I don't even think about it, but the whole time I'm preaching, I'm sucking in right here automatically without even realizing it. I know y'all can tell when I do that. I go from here to this, okay? So I know you. <laughs> it's very obvious I'm doing something different when I'm preaching. So, so so, automatically, the whole time I'm preaching, here's what I'm saying. You can preach from here and you'll strip your vocal cords from here. But everything I preach, I can feel it building here from the diaphragm out. It's a natural thing. I've learned to do it. It's automatic. I don't have to make myself suck in. The whole time I'm preaching, I'm tight right in here. It's just a normal thing. I just do it. All right. Now, I'm going to show you something. Your diaphragm is where the rib cage meets. Okay? I want you to put your hand on there and press. Not uncomfortable, but press. Now, watch what happens. Ready? I want you to say praise with just words. And watch what happens. Now, you got to press enough to feel. Tammy, are you pressing, honey? Come on. Robbie, help Tammy find her diaphragm. She doesn't know where it is. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. She wasn't paying attention. I got you on that one. You know how I am. Pay attention, Tammy. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> you go Chad, you found it? Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Say this. Everybody get still for a minute. Say this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. I love you, Jesus. Now, hardly anything moved. If you pressed right, you just you just said it. Now, do this. Hallelujah. Do it. Praise the Lord. What you did was when you say it. There's not much movement. When you sing it, your diaphragm opens. You know what that means. You just uncapped the well. That's why that the quickening of the spirit is important for it to come into your spirit. And that's why it is important to sing even if you think you can't. Because what it does... Watch now. Let's go back to the shofar. That singing... And that worship of singing is the wind coming out of your spirit and out of your mouth, producing the sound that's pleasing to God. Living creatures cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And there's, there's, there's elders in 24, there's singing going on in heaven. They will sing for the entire tribulation around the throne of God. There's power in the song. And your quickening will often come through a song. Last story right here. I've told this before. I love telling this. i we'll tell it again because there's too many new people that need to hear it right now. Ready? Here we go. Several years ago, I was going to Billy Franklin's church in Wilmington, North Carolina. And that happens to be Jensen's dad. It was me and Pam and a guy named Keith Dudley. Keith was trapped. Remember Keith? Keith was traveling and singing with us at the time. We were kind of helping him get started in the ministry and so on. So it, I never will forget it. It was December. We booked a crazy revival in December in Wilmington. I've never been there. Okay. And we, first of all, I didn't want to be traveling. I had preached over 280 times that year. I was totally mentally wore out. I was physically wore out. It was the month of December. I wanted a break, and I didn't want to be going to revival, okay? And not only that, but we were trying to file a 501c3. It was not working. It basically, let me say it this way, all hell's breaking loose, okay? But I do know if I take off Christmas, we have no income whatsoever, And uh, my next meeting was starting in the middle of January. And I knew, you know, I don't preach for money. But God, I also know that my wife and I have to pay our bills and expenses in in living. So I'm going to go preach. And God, I'm just telling you, I don't want to be there. So I was complaining the whole trip. Cherise, it was, you know, we, we started out. I don't know what time we left. But I know that when we got to the edge of North Carolina there near Wilmington, about maybe an hour and a half out, two hours out, it was getting dark. We had a van. Never forget this. Keith Dudley's driving. Pam is sitting in the back. And my sweetheart was so great growing up because she just put up with my complaint and she just look at me and shake her head. And she says, you need to pray. That's all I'd get from her, you know, I tried to provoke her and So well. You just need to pray. So um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel good. I felt bad. OK, has anybody been there? Thank you. Thank you for raising your hands if you've been there. You just you just don't want to do it. I want to go home, put me in the closet. Would somebody just put a blanket over my head and let me sleep a week? OK, please leave me alone. Boy, I was in a bad mood. I felt bad, really, for being in a bad mood. Have you ever been in a bad mood and felt bad for being in a bad mood? Because everybody around you knows you're in a bad mood, and you're making them mad because you're in a bad mood, so you're in a bad mood, and you don't know what to do because you're making them mad, and then you're mad, and everybody around you is mad, and now you're in a bad mood. Now you're depressed because you're in a bad mood. That's in a bad mood. Okay, I go to the glove compartment, and I open it. I'm just playing with, I'm just, you know, fiddling around. There's a cassette tape. Now, this is really dating it. And I had a cassette player in the van. And it's a blue shell cassette. Never forgot this. And I remember where I got it. Earlier that year in the spring, I preached at Princeton Pike Church of God and there was a group of people called the Shouting Sounds. And they are what they appear to be. (laughs) Gospel singers who shout all over the platform. And Bill Bill Banks came up to me and he said, Perry, this cassette has a song starting right here. Don't listen to it until you really want to get blessed because it's going to bless your socks off when you hear it. All right? All of a sudden it's coming back to me He's got a cassette. It's set at a certain point, and I have no clue. It's been in there six months, seven months, I don't know how long. I said, Keith, this guy gave me this and said, yeah, that if I ever needed it to put it in, it's going to bless my socks off. So put it in and let me just see what this song is. All right, this song had first come out. It's a black choir. Now, trust me, I came up under Andre Crouch, I came up under Billy Preston, hey, will they go around and no, let, me stay in the, let me stay in the flow here, okay? Uh, but I love black music. I absolutely am crazy about soul. I like I like Ray Charles. I like Stevie Wonder, and I know all their music. I'm just being honest with you. Okay, so it's a black choir, and it, I slip it in. I'm pretty good at that. I? So I'm kind of I'm kind of liking the groove already. And here's what it he says. Well, I got a feeling everything's gonna be all right. Hey, hey, hey! That's the song. And then I'm like, I've never heard that. And I'm a crank it up guy. When they drive with me, they hate it because I have to have it loud. They're saying, please, I'm saying, crank it, crank it. And that, it's a black brother singing and you got a backup choir. And then the Hammond organ, look, Hammond organ can drive a demon out of anybody. You understand? <laughs> and that's why I like black churches with a Hammond organ because I'm mean, a guy going, you know? And then he said, well, the word of God done told me. And if you know anything about a black church, because I preach in them, You can't sing like a white church, a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and sit down. (laughs) No, honey. He said, my mama told me. My auntie told me. My grandpa told me. The Holy Ghost told me. The Bible told me. The preacher told me. And he went through everybody on the planet that told him everything. Look. I got to listen to that thing and I got to feeling it in my spirit. I'm talking about music changing the atmosphere, and my spirit started leaping. Something, I just felt something on the inside. But brother told, oh my God, when he got to that part, well, the word of God done told me everything gonna be all right. When he said word of God, my right foot kicked in and started stomping the right side of that thing and my elbow was hitting the door and I was slapping keep on the shoulder. He said, God, you hurt me, man. I said, I don't care. And brother, when I got to Wilmington, I've never forgot this, uh, I'd open up the door And I said, good God, where is that devil? I can take him on now. God restored my spirit. Give him praise in this house right now. The greatest thing, two things changed my life. And I want you to get ready. If you need the Holy Spirit If you've never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you have the prayer language of speaking in tongues, which is a gift from God. We're going to pray for you if you're hungry and you believe for this gift. I'll instruct you in about a minute. Uh, Two of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my life are the following. Because people ask me, what's the two greatest things? 18 years of age, I found out God didn't hate me. He loved me. Because I grew up in a church that preached a lot of condemnation. They meant well, but they preached a lot. of. Man, I thought if I saw a girl and thought one time she was cute, I was going to hell. (laughs) And when I got liberated as a single boy, I looked at all of them after that. I just want to tell you. (laughs) Because I'm going to marry one. You know, yeah, baby. Yeah, how you doing, sister? Praise the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) I got liberated. (laughs) I can only preach this in California. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I married a pretty wife, so I knew a pretty woman when I saw one. All right. I found out that the Lord loved me. I'm telling you something. The way I grew up, that was like a relief that God didn't... God wasn't after a baseball bat to try to beat me down. If I thought something messed up, he wouldn't want to kill me. He's wanting to help me. Here's the second thing I found out. and I mean this real sincerely. At 11 years age, at a T.L. Lowry camp meeting, when I saw this man of God who just died today, he just passed away today... When I saw him lay hands on a crippled man and get healed, I felt God for the first time being raised in church. And and Chad, I never knew God can be felt. And when you come up here in a moment, this may be totally new to you. But I'm telling you something, if you'll humble yourself before God and say, God, I'm hungry. And in my spirit, there's more than what I have. And God, your Bible says you can give me a language to pray in. And I want that gift. And I want your power in my life. You know what happened? You'll start feeling the Lord. And sometimes it's real light at first. And other times it's, it's heavy. And sometimes it's just a peaceful feeling. But the greatest thing to know is that God we serve can be felt. So before we call anybody up here, let's all raise our hands and begin to bless the Lord. Amen. Let's praise him right now. Father.